0: lesson 13, we're really winding down our study with First and 2 Peter and as well as Jude. And I told you last week when we started this series that this is probably one of the most important parts of our lesson that you and I need to grasp. Because as I mentioned to you before, the danger to your faith and to the church the greatest danger to your faith and to the church is not from without the church. Because, you know, when, I, when we were here last week, I, I said that I mentioned to you that, you know, oftentimes we can put issues, we could say, someone mentioned a government, or we could say this group or that group, some, I think someone you know, I mentioned a homosexuality issue. If you listen to a lot of the rhetoric that's out there, you would think that they're the greatest threat to the church. But they're not the greatest threat to the church. The greatest threat to the church is actually from within the church. And a source of that threat is false teachers. And they are among us, and you may not even be aware of it. Because when we think of false teaching, we think of something that's totally contrary to what we believe. But false teaching really is a broad statement. It's not just heretical views, but it could be anything that leads you into sin and then ultimately leads you into a wrong understanding of God and His acceptance of you and salvation. So, for instance, last week I mentioned that in our circle of churches, fundamentalist churches tend to be susceptible to this because it is real easy for us to lift up other things as a means of acceptance with God. So if you carry the right Bible, you dress the right way, you know, all of those legalistic things that you know, extra things that we add to it and say you're a good Christian if you don't go here if you don't go there, you don't eat in this restaurant, don't go to that movie house all of those things are really adding to the issue of grace and adding to the issue of salvation and you will find some pastors who really advocate that strongly and judge your whole spirituality based upon that. And the problem is is that that's false teaching. That may not be heretical like modalism that says there is no tr- trinity, that there is, there's only one God and, and he just manifests himself as a father and a son. See, that's a heresy. You, you would say, well, you know, it's not as bad as that, but it's still bad. It will lead you astray. And so false teaching is a big issue, and false teachers are a big issue, because they lead God's people astray. And the emphasis that we saw last week, as Peter told us, that they come up from among us. See, in a church, we've got the front door and the back door guarded. Nobody's just going to walk in here and start teaching something that's wrong. You know, we've got the doors guarded, but if somebody comes up, and I think you mentioned this last week, Bruce, it's subtle, it's secret. The teaching can be subtle and secret, to where you, you, over a period of time, you don't realize that you've been affected and you've been changed. Now, chapter 2 of Second Peter is probably the most definitive description of false teachers in all of the New Testament. Jesus talked about them in various places throughout the Gospels. Paul talks about them. Next week, uh, in a couple weeks here, when we get through Second Peter, we're going to see that even Jude mentions them briefly. But this is a pretty definitive description of them because Peter is not just talking about what their message is. But he's talking about their lifestyle and their character. And when you read this, you're going to realize that there's a fine line for, especially for a teacher that he could cross over that line and become a false teacher and not even realize it. Or realize it. And I, I think I mentioned last week you know, a lot of the guys who teach health and wealth prosperity, you know what I mean by health and wealth prosperity? It's the message that says God wants you to be healthy and wealthy. And if you're not healthy and wealthy, you must be lacking in what? Faith. So the problem's with you. So we're doing pretty bad here, aren't we? According to that message. Now, the problem is that that's wrong. That is, that, that is a heretical, damnable doctrine that is defeating a lot of people. Now, here's the thing, though. When you look at those guys who are propagating it, they didn't start out with that message. They started out as gospel-preaching ministers. And they slowly digressed into where they're teaching something that's just flat-out wrong now and defeating. Well, let's look at the description. We're going to look today, again, at the reality of false teachers. And we're going to look at their description. Look with me. We're going to look at verses 10 through 16. And I want you to notice what he says. He's continuing up, just to give you a background where we are. He talked about their judgment being sure, and he went through a series of examples. And now he's going to get back to the false teachers here. Notice what he says. And especially those who walk according to the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise authority. They are presumptuous, self-willed. They are not afraid to speak evil of dignitaries, whereas angels, who are greater in power and might, do not bring a reviling accusation against them before the Lord. But these, like natural brutes, were to be caught and destroyed, speak evil of things they do not understand, and will utterly perish in their own corruption, and will receive the wages of unrighteousness, as those who count it pleasure to carouse in daytime. They are spots and blemishes, carousing in their own deceptions while they feast with you, having eyes full of adultery, and that cannot cease from sin, enticing unstable souls. They have a heart trained in covetous practices and are accursed children. They have forsaken the right way and gone astray, following after the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. But he was rebuked for his iniquity. A dumb donkey speaking with a man's voice restrained the madness of the prophet. Okay, so let's look at a few things here about the description of these false teachers. First of all, their attitude. I want you to notice the first thing that they are motivated by corrupt desires. They are motivated by corrupt desires. Let me just stop for a moment. How many of you... How evident is it a person's motivation... How how many of you can discern a person's motivation pretty good? Is it foolproof? I mean, because you can have a guy up there who's speaking, and you, you may sense what his motivation is, and you may see evidences of his motivation over a long period of time, but normally you can't tell because he may be doing the right thing. The issue is why he's doing what he's doing. He may be doing the right thing, but the reason why he's doing it is wrong. And what the, one of the big things about a false teacher is his motivation, his attitude. And what he's motivated by are corrupt desires. Now, let me just stop for a moment, because I want to I clarify what we mean by corrupt desires, because in our sensual society, you might actually think that it's just talking about sensuality and sexuality, but that is not what it's talking about here. The corruption of desires means that it is corrupted by, the desires are corrupted by self. Do you understand what I'm saying? The desires are corrupted by self, that is, by pride. So basically, see, you can have a natural desire. So for instance, let me just stop for a moment. Let's talk about sexuality for a moment. Does everybody understand that God gave you a sexual desire? Does everybody understand that? Sexuality and the desire for sexuality is natural. It It was part of the created order. But it can be what? Corrupted. All desires can be corrupted. Now what you see about a false prophet is is his desires for doing things are corrupted. And the corruption is based upon himself. He's doing it for himself. It's all about him. Now he can be pretty good. Listen, because I have met people who fit this description. I've met pastors who fit this description. I've seen pastors who have fallen, who have been exposed, that afterwards, when you go back to this passage, you realize the signs were always there, based upon this passage. And they were in it for themselves. You just didn't know outright until God exposed them. But the reality is, the corruption of their desires, they are corrupted because it's all about who? Themselves. It's all about themselves. Now, let's move on here. The other thing about them is this: they despise true authority. Let me uh, let me explain something to you. The Bible has a concept that we don't really hear a lot, especially in our circle of churches, but we need to more often, and it's called a plurality of eldership. You know, in our churches, we tend to think of it's God's man and He's it, but that's not biblical. Because here's the thing, when you have that concept of God's man, he's it, you're actually allowing yourself to ultimately, maybe you have a good man in one tenure of the church, but you might get a bad man in the next tenure of the church. Because what happens is, if you set somebody up as the ultimate authority in the church, he's really accountable to who? Well, Only God, but he's accountable to who else? Nobody else. And so then if he's, he, he despises authority. Do you understand what I'm saying? One of the key characteristics of a false prophet is, is that a false teacher in a church is that he despises authority. He mocks others, other leaders, because of their teaching. Because, and there may be many reasons why he does that. He mocks others' authority simply because it raises him up in his self-esteem or whatever he's dealing with but it also makes, makes the people that he is trying to deceive not listen to others, but only listen to who? Yeah, the, that, that pastor or that leader. you see what I'm saying? So, I, for me, I want you to listen to Christian radio. There are so many guys on there that are great. You know, if you can listen to Christian radio, they've got so many wonderful teachers on there, and they're all great So the reality is is that they despise true authority. And ultimately, they despise true authority of the Bible. So let me just stop for a moment. Let's talk about in our fundamental circles. When we talk about in our fundamental circles, and we put emphasis on dress, and we put emphasis on what Bible you carry, or we put emphasis on where you can go, where you can't do what you can do, and all that, can I be honest with you? I've been in some churches, and I have been in a church I remember attending a church where that was the emphasis. The Bible was secondary to the rules. Do you understand what I'm saying? So what those leaders were doing was they were despising the true authority, and true authority says, the scripture says, we have liberty in things. Now, not all things are are good, Paul says, but we have liberty. And, And what it is is a control thing. Now, this is what I want you to understand. You may want to write this down. The issue with false teachers is control. They are wanting to control your life. And why they're wanting to control your life is for them. Is for them. So I want you to notice their attitude. They, they're motivated by corrupt desires, and they despise true authority. Now, I want you to notice their demeanor. Verses 10 through 13 now talks about their demeanor. They're going to talk talks about how they carry themselves. And so here it is. They are bold and arrogant. Now, here's the scary thing. Americans actually like bold and arrogant leaders. Have you noticed that? Have you noticed that? We like bold and arrogant leaders. All you've got to do is look at a presidential election. Have you noticed that, you know, the guy that tends to win is the one who's bolder and, 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 and more sure of himself? We like that. We like that in our leaders. If you've got some guy who's just kind of, you know, you know, whatever, you know, and I know that's not foolproof, but... But we tend to like strong leaders. You understand? And that's our tendency in our nation especially. So we're susceptible here. So when you get a guy who comes up and he's bold and he's he's sure of himself and he's arrogant, we, we tend to in the church think that's good, don't we? Because he's a leader. Here's what I'm saying. That's one of the key characteristics of a false teacher. Their demeanor is that they... Express a boldness and an arrogance. Now, let me explain this, because I've seen this. The arrogance is one thing to be sure of yourself. The danger is is that, again, there's that fine line. You know, we want people to be sure of themselves. We want them to be sure of who they are. But I've seen this, where you can cross that line to where you think you're invincible and nothing can touch you, and you can do whatever you want to do where it doesn't matter. And you can do whatever you want to do. See, there's an arrogance there. And what, what the, the, the root of the arrogance, listen to me, the root of the arrogance, I want you to listen to me, is a concept that you are not accountable to God. you understand what I'm saying? There is a concept there that you are not accountable to God. I can just do whatever I want to do. Now, let me explain something to you. Why do you think that guy's able to act that way? Let me ask you a question. Why do you think a guy is able to act that way? That he could get to the place where he is, you know, his his surety in himself becomes arrogance, and he thinks he can do whatever he wants to do. Why do you think he's able to do that? Okay, Betty said it. No accountability. Okay, what do you? Okay, you're right, Bruce. But when we talk about accountability, it's not just accountability to God. He may not believe he's not accountable to God. But there's another level of accountability that he is not experiencing. So when you have a a leader like that who's showing himself strong, the tendency in our churches, especially in our circle of churches, is we'll let the what. We'll let him do whatever he wants to do. Theoretically, what you're saying is correct. Practically, it happens very, doesn't happen very often. Go ahead, Lou. Yeah, you're right. There is that sense in which we don't no longer walk out the Spirit, we walk out flesh, and we want our own way. And let me let me, let me me dovetail what Lou is saying here to help you understand. See, what you're saying is theoretically correct, but it's not foolproof. And let me explain to you why it's not foolproof. The thing about a false teacher is is he's successful. And so when you look at a church, and see today, in churches today, methodology is down to a science. I mean, they know when they, when I go to pastors' conferences, they've got to lay down on a table, do this program, you're guaranteed to see this percent increase. And it's down to a science now. It's called church growth. It's down to a science where we know how to do certain activities and attract certain people. So if you've got a guy, and he can he, and, and he's crafty because it's all about him, he will use it, and, and, and godly leaders will say, man, hey, man, God has blessed it. God is blessing because here's how we judge blessing in America now, don't we? Is by how many people show up. By numbers. And so God is blessing. So yeah, you know what? I don't like his character. And again, his false, a false teacher is not necessarily teaching something outright, Bruce. So that's where it fails. And what happens is, is here's what happens. The leadership went from... Hmm, Well, he obviously knows what he's doing. We'll let him have a free hand. And see, that feeds into the arrogance. That feeds into the arrogance where he's accountable to nobody. Yeah, see, we just... Yes, they become. Yeah, because remember now, let's go back. Peter says that they come from among us. Nobody starts out, I'm going to be a false teacher. Yes, yeah, that's true. You're right, but there are men who become it. They become it. What were you going to say, Glenn? Yeah, we allow it. That's exactly right. It's happening a lot. Yes, we are comparing ourselves. And that's a major trap that a lot of pastors are falling in, is the whole comparison trap of comparing themselves and saying, well, I must not be a good enough leader because I haven't grown the church there's a danger there. But see, the, the first thing about their demeanor is their arrogance. The other thing I want you to see about their demeanor is this. They speak evil of things that they do not fully comprehend, such as angels. Look with me what it says, verse 10 there. They are presumptuous self-willed. And those, but they are not afraid to speak evil of dignitaries. Now, the dignitaries Peter is talking about there are angelic beings. So they say they're not... In their arrogance, they make statements that are not right. They will slander angelic beings. And Peter is saying this is how arrogant they are. So listen, some of the guys who are on TV, I want you to listen to how they talk about angelic beings. This is, one of the, this is how you know. Because they make light of angelic beings. Now we, we very rarely talk about them because the Bible very rarely talks about them. But I want you to understand something about angels. They're more powerful, they're a lot smarter, and they're not corrupted as we are, except for false angels, demonic angels. And that was because they chose to rebel against God. And so, he's saying here, you know, you've got to be careful. And specifically, when you look at what Peter's talking about here, the dignitaries he's talking about are demonic angels. You say, how do you know that? Well, look at what he says in verse 11. Because notice what he says. Not even the angels who are more powerful would speak in such a way. So what he's saying here about these dignitaries is is that not even angelic beings talk about demonic beings in that way. They don't even do that. I mean, they could if they wanted to. But let me tell you why they don't. Because even though that demonic... Being has been corrupted and is headed for an eternity in the lake of fire. They know who created it, and that they were once like themselves, created beautiful beings by God. See, when you speak evil of someone, you're actually speaking evil of the one who created them. You understand what I'm saying? So that should maybe help us with when we talk evil of each other. You understand? Because it's a reflection of the God who created that person. Okay, let's go on now. He's going to talk about animals here. Like animals, they operate only by their instincts and without understanding. See, they're driven by their fleshy passions. They're not driven by maturity. They're like animals. So, for instance, we, we inherited a couple of cats. When I say inherited, this cat showed up and had a litter in our uh, workshop. And uh, we ended up getting two of them, and they're now our cats. And we, we like these cats. And, but I've noticed something about cats. I've, never had, I've always grew up with dogs. I've never had cats. never liked cats. But well, I like these cats. But I've noticed something about them is they, they develop instincts. And they operate by what? Their instincts. So, for instance, at a certain time at 830, if I walk into a certain room, which happens to be the room where their food is, I don't care where they're at in the house. They know I'm there and they show up. Because they think I'm going to what? Feed them. Because they're driven by what? Their instinct and their desire for food. You know, that may not even be the reason why I'm going in there. They don't know that. Because they don't have an understanding to think about it. Well, he's just going in there to get something. You know, he's not grabbing the bag with the food in it. See, this is the thing. With the false teacher... What happens is, I'm going to be honest, like I said, you don't start out deciding to be a false teacher. It's a digression. And what happens is, is when pride takes over, arrogance takes over, you're no longer accountable. You're not, and when you start speaking of like even angels in a a way that not even angels would talk about them, what's taking over is, is you are basically living your life without understanding. You're just doing whatever you want to do, and you become like an animal. You understand what I'm saying? You become like an animal where, if it, if, you, know, where you just do whatever. So, for instance, if, it, if you've got a niche, you're going to scratch it. And so that's what, what he's talking about there. That's their demeanor. Now, animals, he said they're fit only for destruction. That's the next point. Like, you know, the issue of because they're, they basically operate by their instincts and by their desires rather than with understanding, they're fit only for, for destruction. One other thing about them is this. It has to do with the issue of shame. And the fact is is that they have no shame. And so here's what I want you to see. They openly engage their sinful pleasures in broad daylight. They don't have any shame. See, here's what happens. When you get to the place where you don't have any accountability in your life and you're operating yourself totally by your arrogance and you feel that you're, you're above the law it doesn't really matter. What happens is you become bold in the way you live your life. And, and then ultimately, it starts out small. You become bolder about your sin. Because it's like, I don't need to worry about it. Listen, if, if you look at the cases of men who have fallen to, at pastors who have fallen in their sexual sins. Okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, there's always a pattern. Usually when they're caught, it's not like they're caught at the beginning. You understand when the, when the when the affair first starts happening. It's usually with one of the pastors, they get caught usually two years, three years, or four years down the road. Does everybody understand me? They get caught later on. Now, you say, well, why didn't they get caught at first? Because when they first started engaging in that, they were careful. What happens is, you get where you continually do it, you think you're above accountability and you're, you're above the law, that nobody's going to catch you. And then ultimately what happens is, is you get careless. Because they start doing things and they're not ashamed anymore. They're not ashamed of, they're at, of what they're doing. you understand what I'm saying? It, it, it's a digression to where it's like, what do I got? I don't, I'm going to be here forever. The church loves me church cares about me. I'm the church. That's the attitude. I'm the church. So, that's, that's the point I want you to see about these false teachers. So, they openly engage. Now, here's the other thing. I want you to notice, we're going to talk about their deeds. First of all, their hypocrisy. They openly mock the Lord's table with their unrestrained behavior. I want you to notice exactly what Peter is saying here. Look at verse 13. They are spots and blemishes, carousing in their own deceptions while they feast with you. Now that term feast with you is a reference to the Lord's table. You know, in most churches, most churches celebrate the Lord's table. We celebrate it here quarterly. When I was in Canada and I pastored in a Baptist church in Canada, the tradition there was to celebrate it monthly. It was always one of the Sunday evening services monthly. Some of the other groups celebrated, for instance, like Plymouth Brethren, they celebrate it every week. So the tradition is different. So as a pastor, you know you're always going to be guiding a church in what? At some point in the Lord's table. And what he's saying about a false teacher is, is as a leader, they're doing their thing, seeking after their own lusts and their desires, and they're engaging in they're not even ashamed of it anymore. So they're carousing during the day doing their thing. It's all about them. And then they have the audacity to sit at the table, which, remember, what's the key thing about the Lord's table? What do we do when we come to the Lord's table? We reflect upon what? Our lives in light of what? The cross. And it's a time when we are confronted with the fact that we're not worthy to partake because we're sinners and Lord, forgive us for our sin. But here they come arrogantly and partake of the table. So, do you see what I'm saying? Okay, so... I want you to see there their hypocrisy. So they're hypocrites. They're hypocrites. Now, there's another aspect to them, and it's their adultery. They think only of adultery. They think only of adultery. Look at what Peter says. I mean, he's, he's very clear. Look at what, having eyes full of adultery and cannot cease from sin. In fact, let me tell you what the Greek brings out here. When it says "eyes full of adultery," the term, the phraseology in the Greek means this: they view every woman as a possible sexual conquest. So, where basically their concept is, is whenever somebody comes, and if it's a female, what enters into their mind is, is there a possibility there with that person with me? That's what that false teacher is thinking there. Their eyes are full of adultery. The meaning literally means that they, they see every woman as a possible conquest. you understand? As a possible conquest. That's a scary thing, isn't it? You understand what I'm saying? So And, and, and he goes on, and notice who he, the guy the, the deeds of this person in his adultery is this: they seduce unstable souls for their sexual pleasure. They seduce unstable souls for their sexual pleasure. Now, let me explain something to you about church. Let me just stop for a moment. Who normally leads a church? Is it men or women in the leadership of a church? Well, men. Normally, in in the leadership of the church, it's men. All right? Most churches, what gender usually comes to church more often than the other gender? Women. And... Usually in a church, listen to me, I'm going to to paint a scenario here for you. You've got more women who are coming than men. Usually the women who are coming, their husbands are not interested in spiritual things or are not saved. So when you have that kind of a situation, listen to me, here's what happens. When you have a home where both spouses are not on the same page spiritually, usually what happens in that relationship? There's what? I, I heard it. Yes, conflict. Conflict usually happens. So what happens is, is that, okay, so you take a woman who's a believer. Her husband's not on the same page. And she just wants whatever. And so usually what she's going to do is, is she's going to look for what? Counsel. To help give her wisdom to know how to deal with what? This situation. How do I deal with that? And, and there's, there's an emotional thing going on there. So there's an emotional instability going on there. So who's usually the first person they'll go to to seek advice from? Pastor or some other le- male leader in the church? Now, if you've got a leader who is a false teacher, who's looking at every woman as what? A possible what? Sexual conquest. You see how he prays on them? Ladies, can I be honest with you? This is why I think, I I believe it's John, talks about older women teaching the younger women. Ladies, you know what, you can get guidance from an adult leader, a male leader, but really the Bible really says that your leadership the leader the primary people who should be leaders in your life are other what? Women. Do you understand what I'm saying? Other women. So you know, so when we put the whole focus on the pastor being the guy, boy, we're setting that guy up for problems. And when you and here's the thing. And you know how it is in our churches. Pastors usually tend tend to stay, I think the average in a church is four years. The average attendance for a pastor is four years. For a youth pastor, it's a year and a half. The average tenure for a pastor is four years. And so you're talking about churches that are constantly having a new leader maybe every four years. And I told you last week about how we tend to pick our leaders and about how flawed the process is. It's like playing Russian roulette. You're hoping that the trigger you're pulling is not a bullet. Well, maybe you pull the trigger and it is a bullet. And so you have people coming to that leader who is really in it for themselves, and he's preying upon people. Boy, there's a danger. There's a danger. So this is what he's saying about the false teacher. Is he's, his deeds are marked by adultery. Now, there's another aspect about his deeds, and it has to do with greed. Greed. They are consumed with an extreme desire for personal gain. See, it's all about them. Now, let me just stop for a moment. It doesn't necessarily just have to be in the area of money, although money is a big part of it. It can be in the area of ambition and popularity. Do you understand, in our Christian circles, especially in North America, we have a tendency to have like these rock star heroes of the Christian faith. And and pastors can fall into the trap, and I think we talked about that comparison thing. Pastors can fall into the trap of wanting to be like that and be invited to conferences and be a a keynote speaker here or there and and be recognized. And so why they're doing what they're doing is not necessarily for money, but for acclaim, for fame. So this is one of the key things about a false teacher is they are consumed with an, an extreme desire for personal gain. Now, he, Peter's going to make a comment in verse 14, and here's what he's going to say. But they're deserving of God's wrath. They're deserving of God's wrath. Listen, there's a couple other things I want you to see about their deeds, and this is very important for you to understand. Verse 15 and 16 say this. First of all, they, they, there is a rejection of what is right. They willfully reject what is right in order to pursue their own desires. They willfully Reject what is right in order to pursue what, what their own desires. Let me just stop. I need to qualify that for a minute because you could say, "Well, I heard this preacher and he changed their whole service, and he, you know, he obviously must be doing it for wrong. He's rejecting what is right." That's not what I'm talking about here. When we talk about rejecting what is right, we're talking about biblical principles and commands. We're not talking about traditions of men. You understand? We're talking about biblical principles and commands. That's when we we talk about the truth. They're rejecting. When we talk about what's right, we're talking about truth. So, the other thing I want you to see is, they are like Balaam, who loved money more than obedience. Do you remember the story of Balaam? How many remember the gospel, you know, the Sunday school lesson about Balaam, or if you've read through Joshua, the story of Balaam, remember? I mean, he was a prophet. He believed in the Lord God. Balak came and said, I want you to come and curse Israel. God spoke to him directly and said, what? Don't you do it. Balak came and said, yo, I can increase your bank account a hundredfold. And so, guess what? And it's, it's interesting. Guess what Balaam does? Well, let me check with the Lord. I mean, he already knew what the Lord said. It's like the Lord changed his mind because the sum got bigger as far as what the price would be. See, Balaam was in it for what? For money, for himself. And so they are like Balaam who love money more than obedience. The issue with Balaam wasn't what the Lord said. The issue with Balaam was what did he want? In fact, listen, and he got his reward later because Israel killed him when they attacked the Midianites. Okay, let's go on. Verse 16, Balaam was rebuked by God through his donkey. Balaam was rebuked by God through his donkey. The nature of false teachers. Look with me at verse 17 through 22, and this is where we're going to wrap up. They are wells without water, clouds carried by tempests, for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. But for when they speak great swelling words of emptiness, they allure through the lusts of the flesh, through lewdness, ones who have actually escaped from those who live in error. When they promise them liberty... They themselves are slaves of corruption, and by whom a person is overcome by him also is brought into bondage. If after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they have again entangled in them and overcome to a latter end is worse for them than the beginning. For it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it. To have turned from the holy commandment delivered to them. But it has happened to them according to the true proverb, a dog returns to his own vomit, and a sow having washed to her wallowing in the mire. Okay, let's look at a few things here. First of all, their nature. Despite their appearances, they only present emptiness. Look, they, they can, I mean, they, they can speak. They are eloquent. They can communicate. But what they're communicating is what? Nothing. There's nothing there. I have heard men like this. You hear about this guy, you go to a conference, and you listen to him, and he gets up there, and he speaks for 40 minutes, and you come away from the 40 minutes, and you say, what did he just say? I mean, you were listening. And so you get the MP3, you download it from the conference site, and you listen again, because you want to say, man, I must have missed something. And there's nothing there. Because in spite of their appearances, it's empty. It's nothing but emptiness. Let's go on. Here's their empty words. They present their empty doctrine in grand words of eloquence. Look, they know how to communicate. They know how to communicate. And listen, this is their prey. They deceive believers by appealing to their sinful desires. Listen, do you recognize we have a choice to make whether to walk by the flesh or walk by the Spirit? Paul talks about it very clearly in Romans chapter 8. But in Romans chapter 7, he describes the battle within himself of the flesh that wants to do what he knows he shouldn't do and the desire within him to do what's right and he can't do that, but he does what he doesn't want to do. So there's this battle that goes on within us. And that battle goes on within each and every one of you here. And, so, and we struggle with the reality of who we are on the inside, living in a body of flesh but yet having the Spirit of God within us being a new creature. And what happens is is these guys can come and they in their eloquence of words, they deceive us because they say in so many words, it's okay. Just live by the flesh. Just live by what your body wants to do. And there's a problem with that, because they're leading you astray. Because that's the antithesis of what Paul says in Romans that we are not to live by the flesh, but we're to live by what? The spirit. Now, here's here's the other thing. Here's their empty promises. They promise freedom while they are slaves to their depravity. They talk about freedom. Oh, you can do whatever. Do whatever. Freedom. Everybody wants freedom, right? All right, then finally, here's their renouncement. They have renounced the truth of Jesus Christ and returned to, to darkness. Okay, now listen to me. I want you to understand something. Remember what I said, Bruce, earlier? I said they come up from among us. So they start out, they heard the gospel. They may have even preached the gospel. But the problem is, at some point, they turn from it. They reject it. Now, you say, well, were they saved? Uh, You know, I don't think so. But they verbally made a commitment to it. But they rejected it. All right, here's the other thing. It would have been better, far better for them had they never heard the truth. See, you are judged according to... No. And it would have been far better for them to have never heard the truth than to have heard it, reject it, and then lead God's people astray. That's the point he's making here. All right, let's close our time of prayer. Next week we're going to talk about the Lord's return.